It's those first steps, first words, and first feelings that shape us. I'm Esme, and this is A Flourishing Start. Together, let's have an open conversation about how to nurture the well-being of children in the first five years of their lives. Families of young kids work hard, so should the systems meant to serve them. Let's talk about the ABCs of child and family well-being right here, right now. This podcast discusses early childhood mental health. Some episodes may touch on subjects like trauma, developmental challenges, emotional distress, and other sensitive areas. While we provide broad insights, our content shouldn't replace expert counsel. If you or a loved one is navigating challenges, we strongly recommend seeking advice from a licensed professional. To reach a mental health crisis line, dial 988. Hi everyone, my name is Esmeralda and welcome to a Flourishing Start podcast. I'm your host and here today I am joined with Cindy and Catherine. And before I have you both introduce yourselves, I wanted to lead us into a memory that I have to set us for this conversation. One of my roles that I highly valued it throughout my life was being a court-appointed special advocate for a child in um, the wealth, child welfare system. And I remember when we were um, learning more about each other, we were in the park and the child had a very intense emotion and she let out her emotions by hitting herself in the face because she felt frustrated. Mm-hmm. And at first, I didn't know how to react in that moment. And so I tried to just stop her from hitting herself in the face. Later on, I realized that wasn't a technique that worked for her because it was just battling between us. And I needed a way to teach her to release her emotions a different way. And so I reached out to our supervisor for the case. And she taught me that you can teach a child to stomp on the ground instead of hitting themselves in the face to release emotions the trick is you have to guide it for them and so although it looked silly for us to mimic this in outdoors or to be outside Mm -hmm. and you know stomping on the ground an adult and a child it may look silly but to us it was a technique that the child learned to safely release their emotions and so it turns out that 90% of our brain growth happens in the first five years of our life. And that includes emotional development. And while kids are resilient during this time, they're also very vulnerable during this time. According to the CDC, an estimated 10 to 16% of young kids experience mental health issues, including PTSD and anxiety. That's why today we're having a conversation about the basics of young children well-being and mental health and we'll give examples of what children under five experience. And I'm really excited to have Cindy and Catherine here together in conversation with me because it truly does take a village to raise a child. And so I'm really excited to bring us all together here today. Catherine, Cindy became a mother at 21 years old, and she's currently a mother to Jorge, a three-year-old. Cindy, can you share um, with Catherine just a little bit more about yourself? Um, I 
currently am an administrative assistant at La Clinica de la Raza. Um, I've been there for six months now, so I definitely think that role has helped me be more organized, like in my personal and, I guess, professional life. So, um, I don't know what else about me. Um, uh, I have a little anxiety. <laughs> That's another thing about me. I have anxiety, but I'm happy to be here and talk with you. And I would love to get to know you more and about what you do. Yeah, and one fun fact that I'll throw out for Cindy and I is that we're cousins, Catherine. So I've known oh, yeah. Cindy um, not oh, since nice. she was born because she'll probably share. She we were born in different countries. So I met Cindy when she came to the U.S. as a young child. Oh, yeah. And so that's a little bit about our relationship, too. So Catherine professionally has been in early childhood mental health field for over eight years from what I saw and has held many roles helping a young child in the context of their emotional and social well-being. Catherine is also currently a mother to an infant. And Catherine, I just wanted to see if you wanted to share a little bit about yourself with Cindy. Sure, would love to. Um, yeah, I've, I've worked with young children and families uh, my whole career, it, but it's kind of progressed. I started as like an after-school teacher and doing daycare and nannying and then shifted to doing work in um, residential settings, so moms that were going through rehab and had their children with them. And then from there, realized maybe I kind of want to know how to do this work a little bit more intently. And so I, I went to school to become a therapist. And um, so I've done work doing therapy with young children and pregnant moms and their caregivers. Um, I have also, I work at a pediatric clinic right now at General Hospital in San Francisco. So in that case, I just kind of go in and meet families and get to know how their experience of being a parent is and see ways I can support. So I really love just being around. I started just thinking I wanted to work with kids and then I realized you can't really do that without mm -hmm. getting to know who's in their life. So how do I do it that way too? Nice. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I think um, me personally, I'm excited to have you both be on as uh, parents, but also like strangely enough, both in the medical field. I thought that was a nice mm -hmm. little niche there. Um, Catherine, I've I I'd never have asked you, but is this your first child or are you, or is this infant an additional child of yours? First child. It's been a long time feeling like I work with other people's kids and this is great and I'm fine. And then my partner and I said, well, maybe we'll try it. And so <laughs> we're now doing this adventure of having a baby and it is an adventure. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations you. on your baby and your family on taking this new adventure. And Cindy has, um, will definitely be able to speak to motherhood. I am myself not a mother, so I definitely have a different angle in the child's life. Still an important one as an mm -hmm. adult auntie and just someone that cares about child, um, the children in general. So Cindy... Can you share with us the honest reflection that we had when we were talking about being a mother in the first three years of George's life? Yeah, so we were actually talking about how, for me, it's a little hard sometimes to understand, like my son, for example, because he's three, but he's not really fully talking yet. So sometimes... It's hard for me to understand what he's feeling, especially when he's like crying or 
you know, he's not having a good time, like he's frustrated. But I feel bad because I don't know how to sometimes calm him down or be there for him in a way where he, I guess, feels like he's being understood because he's not, he doesn't really talk yet. So it's hard for me to really know. And sometimes he doesn't want a hug. He doesn't want, you know, mommy to be like, oh, it's okay. Like he just doesn't want. But then I feel like, how can I approach then, you know, my child in order to be able to be there for him with those emotions? I think one thing that we shared too, Cindy, was that a child doesn't have the language to say, mom, I'm feeling anxiety right now. Mom, this is scaring me. And like you said, George right now isn't talking. And so it's kind of like, what language do we have to learn to be able to help support our child? Even though sometimes you may want to, it's just not really there. Yeah, definitely. All right, Catherine, so I was hoping that you would be able to share with us what is infant early childhood mental health? In other words, what are we referencing to when we say this? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it it has this like big name and it's used by the letters all the time. People will be like ECMHC and IEMH, right? And really what we're talking about when we're saying infant and early childhood mental health is a child's social and emotional development. And it's the idea that we know from birth through five years, they're developing the capacity to do three major things socially and emotionally. They're developing the capacity to form close and secure relationships with adults and with peers. They're learning to experience, manage, and express a full range of emotion. And they're learning to explore their environment and learn. So... When we're talking about mental health, I think it gets a little tricky sometimes because we think automatically of mental health from maybe the adult frame or even like adolescents or teens, right? And, oh, this is when like something's wrong with somebody and it's about big feelings and they need to talk about it and sit down and and do therapy, right? And really when we're talking about that for young children, it's just how are we developing in the social world and how do we develop emotionally? Just like we want to think about all other aspects of development, We want to put some time into social and emotional. And so I think we then start to imagine where do we promote this type of of mental health and wellness for young children, that it could be in pediatric healthcare settings. It can happen in early care and education centers. It can happen through programs with home visiting and, um, and early intervention, right? So one thing I can say, I used to uh, have a position in a program through San Mateo County that was an infant and early childhood mental health consultant. And so my role was to be embedded within different early childhood centers, whether it be based in maybe like a childcare setting at a homeless shelter, or it could just be a center within the community that cares for children from, you know, six months to five years just would depend on the place. But I would be there to do two things. One, support the the providers of those centers to better understand what are they seeing in the children that they care for every day? What is it that happens day to day and what do those things mean? So like when they would see a behavior come up, what might that tell us about this child Um, as opposed to maybe our automatic reaction or response? And then the other piece would be to connect with the caregiver's 
from the home of these children to think through what's your experience like with your child and being at this center. And so I could kind of be this liaison in some way between the family and the providers and figure out how do we just all hold your child and understand them in a different way. Yeah, and that remind also just reminds me of an example that Cindy had with her own child when she... Um, I was just hoping, Cindy, maybe would you be able to share with us the experience of that you had in context of um, what happened at the daycare center? Yeah, um, so my son, he's three right now. He's three and a half. But I want to say like five months ago and before he um, was in a daycare um, facility and um, first few weeks were fine but then after a while the daycare provider uh, started to approach his dad and I saying that he was having like behavioral problems that he was starting to fight with the kids whether it was like he doesn't want to share or they're like um, not getting along and there's like little pushing shoving but it was getting consistent and um, even the question arose where if it's like are we teaching him that at home to mm. you know not share to fight and you know, as, as parents, we started to feel bad because, you know, he's not able to let us know in words what's going on. He's not talking all the way yet. Mm. And he's also not able to express those big feelings of like whether it's anger or what if what led to the situation. So it just felt bad that like the daycare provider also wasn't like maybe trying to figure out a solution or like a method mm -hmm. with them to not to stop whatever the problem was, whether the fighting, not sharing. Because um, now in our new daycare provider, um, we have not received one comment. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's still not talking all the way. You know, he still has his big emotions. But they never once approach us saying he's bad or, you know, mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to get along with the kids or uh, please teach him better, like tell him not to like um, push and things like that. And mm -hmm. so now we don't get those complaints. And now it's like, we actually have more communication with the new daycare provider. Um, so I do appreciate that. But it also leads to the question where it's like, what can I do also as a parent to make my child feel more comfortable approaching us if he's having a problem, if mm -hmm. he's not feeling safe or comfortable enough to assess it there where he's at? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I imagine it, it must be a feeling of relief in some ways to be like, okay yeah he's definitely. okay this is it's gonna be okay because yeah. i know when you're in a space where you keep getting told every day it's not going to be okay and something's wrong it can really challenge your idea of like who are we as a family are we doing something wrong is something happening for my child and right right and i guess kind of my own experience would be like um with not really having that safe um, parent or strong relationship with an adult. Like mm -hmm. in my case, like I didn't really have a strong relationship with my mother. Uh, even as an early child, you know, it, it wasn't more, I wasn't really able to communicate feelings with my own mother and things like that because mm -hmm. she also, you know, had a childhood that wasn't well. And so I think that led her to project those behaviors onto when I was a child. But I think that's why now me as a parent, I don't want to do those same behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I want to recognize, you know, um, 
different patterns so that I can help my child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think oftentimes when I'm talking to to my peers or to, to other parents or caregivers, it's this idea of like, we do the best we can with what we have. And sometimes what we have isn't exactly what we wanted, mm-hmm. right? But we're yeah. just kind of doing what we can. But then there are these opportunities to think, maybe I want to try something different or, or maybe there is something more that that I just never knew about, right? Yeah. And I, do, I don't feel like there's much talk um, kind of socially or, you know, just around like we got to think about the mental health of our infant, right? Yeah. Or, or of our one or two-year-old that like, oh, something's going on and they're having big emotions. It's like, mm, I think they're just crying because they need something. There's lots of yeah. assumptions I think that get made about this is what it means and just follow these rules to be a good parent. Yeah. But really, there's so much around the relationship that matters. And I can appreciate how hard it is when you feel like maybe you didn't have a model for that for mm-hmm. yourself. So you're trying to figure it out. Right, exactly. As and you I, go. Yeah. In your experience, like, have you seen more of those examples as well where, like, you have the parent that didn't have the best childhood and then now they're trying to basically break the cycle yeah and basically i want to ask you like what is some advice or what are some examples or like that you have seen Mm -hmm. that can definitely benefit like me and the other moms that like feel the same for sure i think one piece of it's like this idea of how do we kind of grasp some hope how do we reinstill this idea that there is hope to do this differently or there is hope to kind of venture into something new Mm -hmm when it comes to how I want to teach my child to be in the world. You know, something that I try to to remind caregivers about is that really there is only one thing a child needs and they need one consistent, present, supportive source of love from one adult, right? And it may not be your parent. It may not always be the person that you think it's supposed to be. But if a child has that, connection has that relationship has that model of what it means to to share love to express emotion to connect they have the foundation for the rest of their life right and so i think i try to remind folks of that or even let them know about that if they haven't heard that before to be able to instill this this little piece of hope right? That even when things feel so hard, even when maybe I don't think I had that in my life or I didn't get that from my parent, it can remind me that there's hope for my child and that actually I'm here because somebody was able to do that for me, right? Right. Maybe it's not what I expected, but if I think back on it, you know what? There was that one community support person I used to go to for a class and that person made me feel so heard, right? Yeah. Um, that's it. I mean, that's what, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, as like a parent, sometimes we can get so like in our heads about all the expectations we have as well to be that like perfect parent or like the good role model for our kid. But, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard because sometimes we ourselves didn't have that example. So now trying to break a cycle, like it's scary, you know, because we, we don't know how to approach it when we that we didn't know that all we known was either like negative and so now trying to create a positive it's it's like how do you go from there and so what would be your advice on how to be able to calm maybe like 
our kids, you know, that are small and we can't really understand their emotions right now, you know, especially when they're not speaking. And Yeah. What do we do? I think, um, so one, one like analogy I can share, and then also just, we can talk a little bit about like some practical things you could try. Right. But one of the things that, um, you know, people you might've heard before is like, make sure you fill your cup. But what I, the way I kind of think about it is if we think really practically, you have your child in front of you and they're thirsty and they need water and you have a cup, you've got some water and you give it to them and they need a little more and you keep giving it to them. You're eventually going to have an empty cup and they're still thirsty. You have to go back and and figure out how to get some more water, right? That step is crucial to being able to keep giving to your child all that you want to give, right? Because in those moments of stress or challenge, my cup is empty. I'm probably going to give something that I maybe don't want. Like, well, yeah. I don't have anything and I'm sorry. Maybe there's yeah. an irritation. Maybe I have to shut down yeah. because I can't give you what you need. Yeah. But if I've built in some way that I'm regularly replenishing me, then I get to keep giving my child the part of me I want to keep giving. Right. right. So I think yeah. that... And, you know, people talk about it as like self-care, self-care is so important and it can feel like this really strange thing that's out there and there's no time for self-care, but really it's just about how do you replenish yourself, your kind of spirit every day so you keep giving the you that you want to give to your child. I definitely believe that how a child is doing depends on how their parent caregivers are doing. And so when I recently heard about dyadic care, I right away called Cindy because I was so intrigued about this new model of helping a family and a young child. And Catherine, I was hoping that you can share with us just what is dyadic care for no one that's never heard of it, but may have a young child. What is this? What are we talking about? Yeah, I think at its core, what we're talking about is this idea that we can't just look at a child as an island. They're not alone in the world, right? There's somebody else in their life caring for them. And that that relationship is actually the thing we want to attend to. That we don't just look and say, this is a problem. This is a child. They need to fix this. They need to do something different. Or we don't just look at it and say, this parent clearly has an issue and they need to go do something about it and go get therapy, right? But it's to say, this dyad, this caregiver and child, something is struggling here. Something is feeling hard. Something is maybe they're wanting or needing a little more holding or support. And that's what we're going to focus on. That's what we're going to work through. So what does dyadic care look like in practice? There's lots of different things. Where I currently work, um, I work within a pediatric primary care clinic. So families come, bring their children to see the medical provider, get their well-child check done, get their vaccines done. And we are there embedded to think about the social and emotional development. They're checking on, are they walking yet? Are they talking yet? We're checking on how do they handle moments of frustration How are you as the caregiver doing when your child is frustrated? What are the things that you find coming up for you that might impact how you're able to help your child, right? And so 
it's really just taking the time to focus on this is a relationship and this is a family that we want to be supporting. We're not just going to separate them out and decide who deserves or needs the help. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, so. Dyadic care could be therapy, but it's not therapy. Is that accurate to say, Catherine? Well, what I would say is, so the i the idea of dyadic care can happen in different settings. Okay. The biggest push or this kind of new wave is around dyadic care in these primary care clinics. This work mm-hmm. that kind of is being pushed even um, from the state to say we're willing to fund providers in clinic that are behaviorally health focused that can attend to the needs of the caregiver of a child and the child together. But there's also therapy, right? There are, there are also programs like the infant parent program through UCSF at general hospital, um, that does dyadic work, right? They see the patient, their client is the relationship between the infant and the parent or the caregiver. So, Therapy might happen in that setting as well. And we would think of that as a form of dyadic care. So it's it's kind of this, this idea of like dyadic care means we're thinking about a dyad, a relationship between a caregiver and child. And in practice, the services are going to happen in different places. And the newest one is this, this hope that medical settings could do it. And, and what I would say is the reason that's even happening in medical settings is because we know that in the first three years of a child's life, the medical clinic is be, is the one that's going to see the, the child the most, most likely, right? But not just the child, the caregiver the most, because there are 12 visits that are definitely going to happen with these well-child checks. And within the first year of life, a lot of kids may not even be in any other setting yet. They might not be in a childcare setting. They might not be in a daycare setting. So where is the family getting support outside of who's in their own circle? And if a family doesn't have that support built in, maybe the medical place is one where we can offer that too, right? So if you're coming in already, can we make sure that you know there are others here that can support you? Definitely. Definitely. I think in my workplace, we do see a lot of that with our youth and even pediatric patients. Um, Because even some of our nurses um, have expressed to me that some patients are only comfortable seeing a certain nurse or a certain provider because Mm -hmm. they don't feel comfortable either talking with their guardian or their parent because of what's either going on at home or there's no relationship. So then you know, they see their provider, the nurse more often, and they build that trust. So sometimes it's true. That is, that is their person. That is, yeah, that is their strong relationship figure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's this idea that like babies don't, they don't live alone and the Mm -hmm. caregiver mental health is, is tied to the child's mental health, whether we want it to be or not. Right. Because if I'm, in a setting where my caregiver is checking in on me, hearing me, attending to me, engaging with me, I am able to kind of engage back or I'm getting yeah. an idea of what is this like? And we have this right. thing we call like serve and return. We, you do something, I do something, you do something, I do something. Yeah. That helps my brain develop as a child. But if I'm in a setting where maybe my caregiver is really depressed, maybe they're really struggling with anxiety and they can't attend to me when I need them to then I'm starting to feel like 
maybe I need to figure out how to attend to myself and maybe I don't know how to do that. And then I'm looking for ways to release that might come across as, as more of a struggle or a challenge for other people in our life, right? Like a daycare yeah. provider. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, what really sticks out to me is like this, you cannot separate it. Like they are tied together is this idea of like caregiver well-being is directly and un- unable to be disconnected from the child's mental health well-being. And so to make sure that the child is well, let's make sure that the parent is well, the caregiver is well, whichever adult is in that child's life yeah. has to also have the resources for themselves to be able to model that and then provide that for their child. Yeah. And um, I definitely wanted to uplift just the question of what are the practical ways that we can support a child's well-being. And with that, I wanted to share with everyone in the community one way that we can reset our nervous system because when we experience big emotions, or even have an event that happens in our lives, our heart rate can get start beating fast or maybe too slow or whatever the case is, our nervous system is off balance. And I wanted to share an example of the way that we can hum in a way that resets our nervous system. And I think it's a fun way to also share with a little one because it's interesting to play into the feeling. I'm going to have us place our hands on our chest and then also do humming with it. And I think it's simple enough to explain to someone how to do it. And magically, we might find that it helps soothe us um, after having a frustrating experience. And so we all know there's the high pitch humming. like mm-hmm. We're going to do low, deep humming. And I want to guide us just to for a few seconds of it. But ideally, we do this one minute at a time with um, our child throughout the day or maybe right before to go to sleep. And so if we place our hands on our chest and we just mm-hmm. you do that for a whole minute and it's going to be awkward. Like the story I gave in the beginning, you're going to feel silly but at the end of the day, like it's a practical way to help a child reset their nervous system or also just find a different mechanism to release something. Mm-hmm. I wanted to also just spend some time opening it up to Cindy and Catherine. If there's any way that you want to share with us, that's a practical way that maybe the parent can take care of themselves or maybe even with the child mm-hmm. going back to um dyadic care, taking care of both the parent, caregiver, and child. Um, Cindy, do you want to share with us one practical thing that you do to take care of your well-being or probably your child's well-being? Um, I think for me, like, I'm not going to say I don't really start to feel like I'm getting angry or frustrated. So when I do feel like that, I don't want to say anything to him or really express that to him because you know, my mother did that to me. So when she did that to me, I felt like, stop talking. Like you're not allowed to feel like you're being a burden. So now with him, I'll just literally turn around, just take a quick little walk, little breather and just be like, we're fine. Like it's just the big emotions. And now these are my big emotions, but we're fine. Mm -hmm. Like 
nothing's bad's gonna happen and so then I just come back and we're I just talk to him like normally and then if he's still crying that's fine but you know he he calms down and I don't have to yell at him I don't have to tell him like you're being bad you're crying like stop that like we're fine it's just a moment of a moment of big emotions that's it yeah and Cindy I want to thank you for speaking up on your generational experiences that you've had and really trying to do work to break those cycles that you've experienced yourself with your current three-year-old I like we mentioned in the beginning the 90% of their brain growth is happening right now Mm -hmm. and I think like you even um, sharing this example is helpful for everyone to hear because it also makes us feel like we're not alone in this and so I just wanted to thank you for you know sharing your experiences before anything else too and of course, I wanted to see if Catherine, if you had any practical tips that you wanted to share with parents that yeah. they can do themselves or with their child. Absolutely. Um, I, I think just highlighting, you know, Cindy, what you shared, this idea of being able to like pause and take a break is so key. And then this reminding yourself, okay, let's just kind of do a reality check of like, how bad is the situation? And is it more my emotion? Or is it really that we're in danger right now? There is some like major Mm. upset happening. Um, So I think that's a massive one. What it reminds me of is this idea of regulation, right? So we know when we're overwhelmed, we need to re-regulate ourselves. Children don't know how to do that until we kind of teach them or show them. And the goal then, and what I kind of share with families a lot is we need to do something to co-regulate right now, right? So Mm -hmm. I need to get regulated so that my child can get regulated. So there has to be the emphasis on what do I do? So if it's taking a break, that's perfect. If you know what regulates you is being able to kind of like hear some music, what I try and encourage caregivers to do is like touch, tune into one of your senses because a a sensory piece is going to be what turns reactivates the part of the brain that you want to, right? A lot of times um, I'll think about it as like, okay, my hand is the brain, right? And like this front part is where we're, we're able to actually like think and make decisions and go through logic. The inside is the emotion and the core is our like panic, fight or flight. Mm-hmm. When I'm upset or activated, I can't think logically. So I have to regulate my emotion so I can get back to thinking, Right. A child has to do that too. And the way we can reactivate the logic part of our brain is something physical. If I can listen to music, if I can take a deep breath, if I can maybe move around and sweat a little, release some of those um, kind of hormones that are there. Maybe I need to go and just kind of let it cry out. Maybe it's singing. Something that you know will reset you and something that you can do quickly. You don't have to go commit to doing yoga for an hour and that's going to be the way you fix it, right? But to go, this is the one thing I know that always helps me feel a little bit more myself. And once I'm there, then I can go back to my child and help them get to themselves too, right? Um, And I think that co-regulation piece matters so much because sometimes we just jump to trying to talk to the child about like, what are you doing? You need to stop. This isn't okay but they can't process any of that mm-hmm. if they're not regulated. So what are we going to teach them? 
maybe it's taking a deep breath. Maybe um, sometimes what we might do is like teaching them how to blow a bubble, right? Oh, oh, I think we need to do our bubble right now. Let's, or then we're going to blow it out, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's, let's blow out our birthday candles where you can like, so things where you can like visualize or picture, but basically what you're doing is we're just breathing and that's helping our brain and body reset. And then we could talk about what happened or then we can come up with what our solution is going to be. But that co-regulation is, is kind of like the, the golden ticket to helping kids figure it out. The more I regulate helps them figure out how to regulate. Definitely. Really? I love that. I love these techniques and I just wanted to, Thank everyone. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Cindy, for coming on to a Flourishing Start podcast. I definitely enjoyed hearing both of you in conversation together. And I felt that the connection was here for ourselves, but also for our little ones that we're going to go home to after this. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast, A Flourishing Start, ABCs of Child and Family Wellbeing. I'm Esmet. This podcast is brought to you by the National Center for Youth Law. Investing in early mental health sets the stage for a lifetime. Stay informed, stay curious, and we'll see you in the next episode. To suggest a podcast topic or to express interest in being a podcast guest, please email health at youthlaw.org.